Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. What's up, Unbroken Nation? My guest today is Milagros Phillips, who is an, an author, a speaker, and an educator around race and inclusivity. And this conversation is one that hits really home for me and near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's a conversation that's very so and very much so top of mind for me. Um, as many of you know, I'm biracial, black and white, half West African Nigerian and half Irish. And looking at and understanding not only my own lineage, excuse me, but the, the history of trauma that I've had in my life, and this conversation with Milagros is so impactful and profound to me because you, know, you look at the impact of intergenerational and historical racial trauma on the existence of mankind in the time that we live. And it's, it's impossible not to face the truth of the reality that we have to be so much more awake in this conversation. And in this conversation, she and I go into depth about the experiences of the impact of, of racial trauma, not only today, but in the course of history. And she gives us one of the most incredible history lessons that I've ever got in my life. And I'm so thrilled to be able to have this conversation with her for you to consume today. Um, I'll say this, there's always been a part of me that is obsessed with, with history in general. But this is without question, one of the most profound conversations I've ever had about the reality of the impact of generational trauma from a perspective that is far beyond anything I've ever been able to navigate myself around. And so this was a lesson for me. Um, I wish, I, to be honest, I wish I'd had three hours with her instead of just one. And so I'm honored today to bring Milagros onto the Think Unbroken podcast because I have a feeling this is going to be one of the episodes that we will and I will remember forever. So without further ado, my friends, Milagros Phillips. 
What's up, Unbroken Nation? Hello, my friends. I'm Michael Unbroken, host of the Think Unbroken podcast and founder of thinkunbroken.com. And I'm honored to be your trauma coach and mentor because I believe that everyone is capable of getting unstuck, cultivating self-love, and becoming the hero of their own story. I believe that when implemented correctly, the practical tools and education you will receive from this show will help you lead an unbroken and extraordinary life. I believe that no matter what we come from, that we all have the ability to choose ourselves first, to create and manifest a powerful and grace-filled future, and love the reflection in the mirror. I believe that every day is a day to grow, learn, heal, and change. That's why I started my company, thinkunbroken.com, which is an online training and healing and personal growth platform where you get everything that I know about how to get motivated, be accountable, get out of the vortex, and become the hero of your own story through community, connection, and commitment. For more information, visit thinkunbroken.com. Please listen closely as you may learn just one thing that will help you be unbroken. And please share this episode with at least three of your friends because we all need community and connection in our healing journey. And be sure to DM me and tag me on Instagram at Michael Unbroken so that I can say hi. I just wanna thank you again for being a part of this, for listening and being a member of the Unbroken Nation. Now, let's get into today's show and make the world unbroken. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. Super excited to be back with another episode with my guest, Milagros Phillips, who is a keynote speaker, TEDx presenter, author, and certified coach, and she designs strategic learning programs for organizations who are seeking to enhance their diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives through race literacy. Milagros, my friend, how are you today? What is going on in your world? I am wonderful, and I'm so happy to be on this call with you today. I've been waiting for weeks for us to have this conversation with your audience. This is such an important topic and is so top of mind and top of heart for people right now. So um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I'm excited to have this conversation. I think it's incredibly important to, especially not only in the consideration of the times that we live in, but in the reality that now we have access to more information than any time in history. You know, we'll, we'll get into this and we'll dive in deep. But before we do, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your history and your journey to where you are today? Sure. So um, I had been living in the U.S. I was born in the Dominican Republic, a practically racer, because I was 10 years old when I came to the U.S., and uh, my mother was an American citizen. My mother, my grandmother didn't speak any Spanish. She only spoke English. Spanish is my first language. Um, and so we had moved to the US when I was 10 and three years in, they killed Martin Luther King. And I, I was devastated. I, I literally locked myself in the bathroom to cry. And I really, I tell people that was the day that I was handed my life's calling um, because I literally like I heard a voice when I was in the bathroom that said that you're to continue this work I didn't know what that meant I'm 13 years old somebody just killed Dr. King for doing the work that he was doing and I'm like 13 there's no way in the world I'm ever going to do race work like forget it you know and so I spent most of my my life avoiding doing that work but at some point you know it, it's called a calling because it keeps calling you until you say yes and um, at some point I finally did say, yes, I was doing diversity work, but in organizations, but I would always end up talking about race or somebody would bring up race in, which of course is so important to the diversity conversation in organizations. And so I would take them down this, this deep rabbit hole, right? Um, and I, I eventually just said yes. And, and um, it's been an incredible journey and I'm so grateful um, that I, I decided to take my route, my life in this route. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. And, you know, I think that often 
when we have a calling, we can ignore it. And it tends to be that thing that keeps us awake at night, whether positive or negative. You know, I look at my own experience of now being, you know, in the position I am and coaching thousands and thousands of trauma survivors around the world, having this podcast, having a book, all these things. It all came because I, I like listen to that calling. I, I want to go deep in, into the conversation about race today. Um, but before I do that, I, I think out of just my own pure curiosity, what is it that led you to that moment of choosing to step further into this? You know, I think often as human beings, we tend to negotiate with ourselves <laughs> and we go, you know, somebody else will do it or I don't have to, or, you know, it'll figure itself out. But, but I think the difference between success and failure in life is truly about taking action. So I, I would just love to know in, in your experience, you know, facing especially this critical world impacting topic, how you face the fear about that to be willing to step into it. Yeah, so, you know, so very early on from, from you know, I, I would say when I was around 12 years old, I remember uh, I lived in New York City and I remember my parents let me go downtown by myself. And one of the first things that I did, which is, I look back and I think that's kind of a strange thing for a 12 year old to do. One of the first things that I did was I went to the UN and back then there were these benches that you could sit in front of. And I remember sitting there and tearing up because you had all these people going in and out of there. And I'm this little kid and I'm thinking, those people are my family from all over the world. And they're here to make peace. Like I remember thinking that, right? Just sitting there. So then fast forward next year, Dr. King gets killed. And then I'm, you know, deciding not to do this thing. So, you know, I had done all of what we call the right things in the world. You know, I went to school, I got an education, I got married, I had three children. Like, you know, like I, I did all the stuff that, you know, the world told me I was supposed to do, right? And yet my life didn't seem to work. Not, to, not the way that I thought my life should work, right? And so I started doing a lot of personal, um, you know, just, just, personal work, just really looking at my life and, and, and really deciphering it, being very reflective and doing a lot, learning to do energy work and learning to be a Reiki master and blah, blah, blah. But, but even before I came into doing those kinds of things, I remember while I was still doing personal work, a friend of mine got me a ticket to go see Tony Robbins. This was in the 80s. He, had, he was fairly new, you know, but there were a thousand people in that audience. And I remember sitting there and listening to him and thinking, I need to be doing this, but I need to be doing this around the issue of race. And, and so in other words, I need to be speaking to thousands of people about this topic because it's so important. And, um, you know, fast forward again, I, I did nothing, you know, I just remember thinking it in the moment, but did nothing, right? And then I went back to school to get a second degree and I had to take a diversity course. And in doing research to write my thesis, what I found was information that I had never seen before. I found things that I didn't know about that suddenly starting, started to put my life in perspective. And I always tell people that, you know, I had done enough personal work that at one point I was healthy enough to realize that I needed healing. You know what I mean? Like, it was like <laughs> so the personal work just really led me to the reality that something's off here and it isn't what I think it is. And so I started digging and, um, you know, it, it's, it, it led to my realization that I really needed to do race work. And so if you can imagine in the nineties, trying to do race work in organizations, like nobody was buying it. I, I gotta tell you that before George Floyd was murdered by Chauvin, even up to that point, people were still resisting. There's still resistance now, but it isn't as it was before, you know? But I've watched this cycle go up and down. And every time we start to do the race work and it starts to take off, in, in the country, something else happens and people's attention goes whoop and they go right to that and they focus on that and they forget about race. And in fact, right now, um, you know, I just spent the last year plus doing um, weekly programs on race literacy to really help the community, first of all, deal with the trauma, 
um, you know, look at the various ways in which race impacts us and so on and so forth. Right now, my biggest challenge is keeping people awake. Yeah. Because even right now, people it's like, oh, okay, that happened yesterday. And it's like, no, it's here today. You're just not seeing what's happening to black men and women and brown men and women and indigenous men and women on TV every day because something else is taking up the airwaves. But that doesn't mean it isn't happening. And trying to keep people alive and awake to that reality is one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I sit here and I go, I resonate with that in such an intense way you know, childhood trauma is the biggest elephant in the room of mental health care. It's swept under the rug. And, you know, being in this position where I am, you know, one of the few people who are willing to have this incredibly difficult conversation, it's like, the deeper we get into it, it's like, oh, that next thing happens, that next thing happens. Um, you know, there's so many different places I want to go here with this conversation with you. I, I think about, first and foremost, the acknowledgement of, of your experience with Tony Robbins in the 80s. You know, that that to me is incredible. Um, I've actually had the privilege of, of studying and learning under Tony myself. And even just this past Sunday was in a six-hour seminar of his that was supposed to be like an hour and a half long. And, and just walking away from that and, and asking myself the question of, you know, am I, am I doing everything in my power? You know, am I doing everything in my power to change the narrative about these conversations and ultimately looking at it and going, you know, there, there's a fine line between self-destruction to save the world and trying to do the things that we're capable of doing. And it's really fascinating when you get so introspective in this. You, you mentioned something that as you said it, I thought to myself, I understand the impact of it, but I don't understand the emotion to it. And, and that's the, the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, I, I feel like I'm a bit of a historian in that I've studied a lot of American history. One of the, one of the books that I started reading in, in high school that people thought I was insane for reading was Howard Zim's People's History of the United States. And, you know, you go and, and, and that being just kind of like this catalyst for me to step into learning about American society and the truth behind it. And, and so much of the experience, in, in my opinion, of what it is to be an American, especially around race, has been, for lack of a better term, whitewashed so that we feel a little bit more safe and coddled. What I'm curious about in this and the reason I'm bringing this up is we look at and, and I've heard you talk about the things that we've left out of history. And I think that we're in this place where now more than ever, people go, yeah, Martin Luther King, and he was murdered and Malcolm X. And yeah, he was murdered. And they did this, this and this. But I go, I don't know that people fully understand the impact of that. History. I got goosebumps just saying this of the historical impact of specifically those two moments and then the murder of the majority of the, the Black Panthers during that movement and looking at this and going, this is a silencing. And now we live in a time and place where, you know, you, you wear Martin Luther King on your t-shirt, but you don't understand the impact. So uh, I know that was a bit heady and wordy, but I'd love to know your thoughts about that in consideration of the things that we're leaving out of history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for me that day, um, you, you figure I, I'd only been in the country for about three years. Right. And I remember um, when I was about eight years old, a um, little girl from across the street came to stay with her grandmother for the summer. She came from New York City and she was, uh, this was when I was still in the Dominican Republic. Right. And, um, and I was so excited to talk to her because I said, my family's going to be moving to New York. Can you tell me what that's like? And this little eight-year-old child said to me, you're not going to like it there. They don't like people that look like you. This is a little eight-year-old, right? And I said to her, why? Like, I didn't understand, you know, for obvious reasons, right? And, and so now fast forward, right? I'm, I'm living in the U.S. and I'm seeing some of the things that go on, right? And I lived in a neighborhood in New York City where it was one of those neighborhoods where, there, you know, people were on drugs. I mean, you know, that, that was how people cessated. It was just, you know, that was the reality of where I lived in the neighborhood, right? And so when this happened, what came back to me was what that child had said, which is basically, you're not safe there. You won't be safe there. Now, I didn't process it consciously as such 
at that point in time. Okay. It was just sort of like, wow, this is, you know, something didn't feel right, you know? And, and so I was really emotional about that. I had a father who used to leave at four o'clock in the morning to go to work every day. And he didn't come home until seven o'clock at night because he worked so far away because it was the only place that he could get a job. Right. So I'm, I'm scared for my father. I have five brothers. I have nephews. You know what I mean? Like, like that hit me at that moment, but I didn't, in, I didn't, I wasn't aware of how I internalized that trauma until I started doing, I do a, a two-day intensive that I've been doing since 2021. So I'm sorry, since 2001. And um, in, in, in doing one of those sessions, this African-American gentleman shared his remembrance of when Emmett Till got killed in the 1950s and how that impacted his life. And he began to sob. And in that moment, as I listened to him, I suddenly realized his, his words just hit me. He said, he was 67 at the time, which is funny because that's my age now. He was 67 and he said, I have spent an entire lifetime in this country. And ever since that day, that Emmett Till was killed, I have never felt safe. And what hit me in that moment was, oh my God, from the moment that Dr. King got killed, I never again felt safe. Because something awakened in my consciousness of where I was living. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't, you know, there's colorism and all that in the Dominican Republic, I and mean, we could get into that because that's a whole nother story. But but, it, but I didn't feel unsafe. And probably because I was a child and my parents were very protective and blah, 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 right? And also I was the youngest, right? So I had all these siblings who were way older than myself. And, and so, I, so it's a sense of safety in my life. But I became really conscious in my body at that moment that I had lived a lifetime and I had never felt safe. If you need help with pain or anxiety, let me tell you about one of my favorite tools. It's NW Recovery CBD Oil. You may know that, and I've mentioned this before, I have chronic pain and massive anxiety, and CBD oil has been such a profound tool in my journey. Recently, NW Recovery came out with their key lime flavored CBD oil that is non-psychotropic. It is non-psychoactive. And for a person like me who has a panic attack, if I touch THC, this is the perfect combination of delicious key lime and CBD. Something I literally do not leave home without. For more information, you can go to nw-recovery.com and use the keyword unbroken to save 20% on your first order. Again, go to nw-recovery.com, keyword unbroken, and have CBD change your life. And so the impact of that, of, of the killing of Dr. King, is something that we've never really unpacked in terms like like we talk about it as a historical thing and we talk about the impact that he made in his life but as black and brown people we have never really unpacked the trauma of just that one piece of history not to talk about all the other stuff and we, we, we could get into all the trauma and how it gets passed on generationally and epigenetically and so on and so forth but just that one piece just that one piece that we have never unpacked the impact of that trauma on our mind body spirit and emotions and what went out that day i do remember when we heard the news my father said i had you know, I don't want to use the words, right? But, but he said, darn it, they got him. And he was so upset. And so at that moment, not only did I as a child um, have my own trauma and impact, but also my father's trauma and impact as he received what had just happened in that moment and how he had his theories and he 
openly talked about his theories about what had just happened. You know, so I'm absorbing all of this stuff. And what I realized, even as you asked the question is, we've never really unpacked that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And when I when I think about what you just said, I can't help but think there are people in that moment who celebrated that. And there are people in that moment who mourned that experience in that moment, and, and many of these moments and many of the things that have happened throughout the course of history. And I, I do want to go in and talk about this idea of the impact of intergenerational and historical trauma. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm biracial, I'm black and white, Irish and Nigerian. And my, my family's lineage on either side, you can look at and measure these tremendous amounts of impact of trauma. And one of the things I experienced growing up is I, I lived not only in, you know, the, the, the HUD housing and, and government subsidized housing in, in the ghettos and the hoods of, of where I grew up, but also in like, the, for lack of a better term, the white trash areas. And I've been called both white trash and black trash, which is a really interesting juxtaposition when you think about it as a biracial kid growing up in America. And and, and feeling very much so lost within the experience of understanding and trying to navigate race. And that, that to me is not unique, right? I think that holds true for many people. And that's regardless of, of whether I think you're black, white, or multiracial or multicultural. I think that there's something to that. I, I remember being nine years old. And my, my grandmother, who was an old white lady from a town in Tennessee you've never heard of, uh, was vehemently racist. And so now imagine that me growing up in this home, she actually adopted me and, um, and being faced with these tremendous cultural value and moral juxtapositions and, and discovering one night that we had a copy of Hitler's book, Mein Kampf in our home. And thinking to myself, this is really fascinating to me because on this one hand, I have this woman who is taking care of me, but on the other hand, I recognize that every time that she has an opportunity, she's going to defame someone of another race. And really coming to this place in my life where I said, that's not about her actually, right? It's actually about her history. And, and that allowed me to now as an adult and having words and being able to make meaning of those experiences, looking at it and go, oh, that's definitely historical. That's intergenerational. That's so much of all the experiences leading up to the moment of our DNA, of our ancestors, of humanity, all the way back to Adam's rib, if you will, and looking at it and going, ah, that makes sense. I think for context, because I've been able to make meaning of that. There are people listening right now and they're probably like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. I would love if you would just dive in and talk about not only the impact of intergenerational and historical trauma, but also about like, if you can define those things for us. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I want to start with, um, you know, just really looking at, um, I, I, I'd like to go like to the 1400s in Europe, right? If we're, if we're gonna talk history and race, right? So, you know, prior to colonization, which is something that we never talk about really, um, and they certainly don't teach us at school, prior to colonization, the Europeans and the Africans had a long-standing history of trade and diplomacy, okay? And so, in the, in the 1400s, when the Vatican and, and the Pope gave permission to the Prince of Portugal to go and conquer, vanquish, colonize, and enslave the African, uh, the, the West African coast, and, and turn that into law, um, what happened was that, you know, from, from, from that moment on, the world was changed. The world was changed. And what we also never talk about and talk about trauma, right? Was that if you look back into the 1400s in Europe, they had already institutionalized uh, crime and punishment and it had been for, you know, all over the world, you know, that had been institutionalized. But crime and punishment in Europe was very specific, right? Um, and, and, and if you look at the, um, the population of Europe, it was really divided into two groups. They were the wealthy and nobility, and then there were the poor people. Among the poor people, there were uh, enslaved people. Slavery is a perpetual um, institution, okay? There were uh, people who were indentured. Indentured is an institution you can buy your way out of, 
you know, and then there were just the general workers and servants who worked in the homes of these, these people. When you think about the weather in Europe, right? You have about three months to grow your food. And you look out into the world and nine months out of the year, there isn't even a leaf on the tree. So your perception when you look out into the world is one of scarcity. There's not enough. There's never enough. Is there gonna be enough food to last us until we can grow some more and harvest and so on and so forth, right? And now here they are sailing down this coast in a place where food is plentiful, because you have to remember that the places, all the places that were colonized around the world for the most part were around, um, were around the equator, the band, which is warm weather. There's plenty of gold, silver, lots of food, right? And, and so, so all of a sudden you go from not enough to wow, there's plenty and let me siphon it and bring it to the people up here because now I have all these people that can do all this work that those people were doing. So we never talk about that, okay? And we never talk about the first people that came to this country and how many of them were white slaves. The first slaves in, in the continental USA were white people, okay? Somebody wrote a wonderful book in the 1990s. It was called, uh, They Were White and They Were Slaves. So again, little pieces of history, little, little crumbs, right? That are left for us to figure this stuff out, right? So you have a people with a consciousness of lack that is now going forth and settling the world and siphoning the wealth from all these, these amazing countries that were wealthy, because you don't colonize any place where there's nothing, okay? Don't give me that you colonize because they were poor and they had nothing. People don't colonize for nothing, okay? People colonize because there's something there that they want, right? But let's go back and look at some of their, the, the history of Europe at that time point. So they would hang somebody for stealing a piece of bread. They would hang lots of people. We, we in this country call it lynching, but that's what they were doing over there, okay? They were lynching their own people. They were cutting people's heads off because they disagreed with the monarchy or the papacy. They were, I mean, the crime and punishment was horrific. You also had a populace that because they only had three months to grow their food and because they lived in lack consciousness, there was a lot of malnutrition. When people are malnutrition, they can't even think straight, okay? We know that now from research, right? Sanitation was virtually non-existent. So there were a lot of diseases that people were, were very sick and sickly. Okay, and they had a very short lifespan because again, not good nutrition and, and sanitation and it was pretty horrific. And then to top that off, if you were not Catholic at that point, I'm gonna be very specific about that because that was very specific at the time. You could just get your head cut off just because they didn't agree with your religion, which meant that the Jews, the Islams, the Hindus, all those people were in danger because you could be killed for not having the right religion. So we're talking a pretty horrific place to live. And so people were desperate to get out of there, okay? And so when they decreed this, this edict, which changed the world, is called the Doctrine of Discovery, what they did was they opened up the world for Europe to colonize. And they were given permission to do so, not just colonize, but colonize, um, enslave, for, for, it was, it, it reads perpetual slavery, okay, to anyone who was not Catholic. Um, it, it was also for the Europeans to deed themselves the land that these, because it was considered terra nulla, which means that, you know, human beings don't exist on that land, even though you know, the natives were there, or native Africans, native um, Tainos, and the, you know, people all over the world who were living in these places, they were not considered human. And so they came in and they, you know, they took over the land, the, the, the doctrine is very specific, the land, the waterways, and the people, and their possessions, okay? So now you have all these European countries, the French, the Dutch, the, the, uh, you know, the all of them, the English, all of them colonizing all over the world. And how they did it 
was the same way that they had controlled their own people for hundreds of years, which was traumatize, to destabilize, to control. Because you have the papacy, which is you know relatively a few people compared to the populace, right? And you have the monarchy, relatively a few people compared to the to the populace. And the monarchy and the papacy were always at odds with each other, trying to decide who actually had the right to rule over the people, right? But here is something that now joins the monarchy and the papacy, which is this doctrine, which is which is you know quote unquote God given permission to go ahead and colonize the world and take it you know take over all these places and consider that the people who are there are not human. So that opened up what we now know as colonization of the world. Once you colonize a people, you don't just colonize their land and their waterways, but you also colonize their spirit their emotions and their ways of being. So the first thing you do, again, all of these things traumatize people. You take away their language, you take away their, um, their possessions, you take away their deities, you take away their ways of worshiping. You, you, you just you strip them of a lot of the things that are part of their humanity. And you know, and so what we have is a group of traumatized people traumatizing the rest of the world and spreading the violence like butter all over the world. And so, you know, so over 100 years, this has been happening, right? So from the 1400s to the 1500s, where they have taken over all these various places in Africa and, and places in, you know, in North America and South America, but it was it was slight because this was kind of far. Africa was a little bit closer and you had people who looked different. Their hair texture was different. Their skin color was different. And obviously there was ignorance, a lack of understanding that these people had brown skin because you know nature is a marvel of technology. And in um, that brown skin, which is known as melanin, helps to protect them from the, from the harsh sun that shines on them because they live in warm climates. These people that lived in warm climates saw the world differently from people who saw the world through the eyes of lack. They saw the world as, as, as a world of abundance because you figure there's food everywhere all the time. And, you know, because the, the papaya is not growing, the mango's growing, the mango's not growing, something's always growing. So people, you know, so people were well-nutritioned. Um, you know, they also had um, um, an, an awareness of ruling through, you notice all their buildings were round, right? Because they, it was, the rule was by consensus and the elders were held as those who had the experience to rule the rest of the tribes. Right. So their perception of the world and the way that they did the world was completely different. But now you have these people who are coming in with, you know, their horses and their their swords and their guns taking over these people who didn't have those same kinds of of um, of uh, weapons to defend themselves. And so it was violence, which is causes trauma to destabilize, to control. And you have to figure the people who are coming are traumatized people. Traumatized people traumatize others. We know this now, right? And so they, all they did was repeat what had worked for them. They were able to control the European people through violence. You know, I mean, you don't have to hang the whole town. You just hang a couple people and then you parade their bodies around town and you do all, you know, and and, and then you figure also that these spectacles, these were public spectacles in Europe, right? These punishment spectacles, because you needed to traumatize the entire village, the entire town, right? And so you only had to show a few people, right? And now the whole town is, is traumatized. They're all destabilized, so now you can control them. It's very easy to control people when they're traumatized, right? And so that worked well. So they had a formula. And, and it was a formula that they had used throughout Europe. Like they used that formula of 
you know, give me your firstborn male, you know, to so that I can go get the grain over there from that village because they got more than we got and we don't have enough. Because remember, consciousness of black, right? We don't have enough. So let's go get what they got over there and bring it over here so we can survive the winter, right? And so give me your firstborn. And then when I come back and I bring you the grain, here's what I need. I need for you to give me 5%. Everybody gives me 5% to pay me for going over there to get the grain, right? So you come back, you bring the grain, people are happy. They give you 5%. And now you have three things. You have an army because you got all their firstborn that you can now go rape and pillage and kill and do whatever you need to do to bring that grain back so your people can survive, right? And so, so you got an army. You got wealth because everybody just gave you some of their grain, right? So you got grain, you, you got wealth, and you got a formula. You got a formula. And now all you have to do is repeat that formula over and over and over again. And you repeat that formula all over the world and you can take whatever they have and you can bring it back home. And when you bring it back home, people will hail you as a hero. Do you have trouble falling asleep at night because you have anxiety? I know that I do, and that's why I started using NW Recovery's Sleep Melatonin Formula with CBD. And it's a non-psychoactive CBD, which is really important to people like me who have anxiety and depression because sometimes THC can make you have panic attacks, and this doesn't. Not only is this formulation by NW Recovery made with melatonin, which helps you sleep, it has non-psychoactive CBD. So there's no THC in this product at all. I want you to check this out. If you've never used melatonin before, I have a tremendously difficult time sleeping. And when I started using the recovery sleep formulation, I sleep like a baby. So I want you to check out nw-recovery.com where you can use the keyword unbroken to save 20% on your first order. Again, that's nw-recovery.com and use the keyword unbroken to save 20%. For what you just did not keeping a consciousness that what they just did over there is going to affect your family over here because trauma gets passed on for generations and you cannot you cannot traumatize another human being without you yourself being compromised and your lineage that means your children your grandchildren your great grandchildren your great 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 grandchildren so now what we're dealing with is a world of traumatized people who ain't never been healed never been healed no. And then you look and then you add on top of that the trauma of slavery in and of itself and and what was done there. And, and now you've got, I mean, this stuff is huge. And you know, people go, well, you know, the slaves were set free a long time ago. Yeah, but nobody gave them a little pink slip and go get you some counseling for all the trauma you and your lineage has been through, right? And so there's that. There's all the European people who showed up to this country because they were traumatized over there. Ain't nobody come over here just because they were taking a vacation on the carnival cruise, okay? The, the people who came over on the Mayflower got on that Mayflower because it was horrific over there. And, and some of them were completely uneducated and they thought the world was flat, but they were willing to take a chance of falling off the edge of the earth, okay? To find somewhere else because where they left was so horrific. And we forget that when we see people coming over to the border. We forget that our, you know, their ancestors, I will say, came over here because it was pretty horrific over there. And so they, they're bearing their trauma, right? And then you, so, so it's, <laughs> it's kind of a mess, but it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. When people become conscious, they then start making different choices that allows them to heal and allows them to transform. Human beings were built to be able to take trauma. We were built because we were built to be resilient. But that resilient gets truncated if we don't understand what it is that we're healing. Does that make sense? You know, yeah, so, so it isn't just, oh, let's heal the trauma. It is what trauma are you healing? Because, because you need different things. So for instance, for instance, if you're a black and brown person, the trauma that you carry is different from, from a European person. So in other words, black and brown people living in what was at one point called the new world 
internalized, internalized the violence as Stockholm syndrome, which means that you take on the characteristics of your enslaver or your kidnapper, right? Um, um, colorism, like all of these things that we, so that's what we as brown people and black and brown people have to heal. The taking over of our lands, the, which, which affects our ability to own and, our, you know, like, the, because this stuff affects different things, right? White people, what they need to heal is they need to heal from the violence that they never even accepted happened to them or that they are not conscious happened to them or, or that they built a story over to make them feel like, well, we're the good people of the world. You know what I mean? And, and yet there's this, this internalized violence that is not your fault, but you're still responsible for healing it, you know? And so, so this, you know, the, the, my work really is about, this isn't, this isn't about shaming, blaming, or any of that stuff. Because at this point, we, we are all suffering from a similar disease. Okay, we, we, we have all been caught from, cut from the same cloth at this point because it's been handed down from so many generations, right? So I always tell people, racism is not your fault, but it is still your responsibility to heal it. And let us remember that racism as it is defined by a lot of us who do this work, which is really, it, it's, it's, it's prejudice plus power, right? To, to keep it simple. Racism is a problem for people of color. It is not the problem of people of color and we cannot heal racism. What we can do is we can heal our own Stockholm syndrome and all the stuff that we, and, and all of our survival tactics that allowed us to be able to live in a culture that is not accepting of us and that uses us as the scapegoat for everything. Okay. And so we absorb that and our children absorb that and all of those kinds of things. White people absorb supremacy. And even the nicest little white lady who is sweet in her heart still absorb that. And the reason they absorb that is because that's what's in the environment. It's not about whether you're a good person or a bad person. It's about you absorb this stuff because we live in the environment where it exists. And so therefore you absorb it. But once you become conscious, you can make different choices. I know that's yeah. a really long answer to your short question, but no, I I love that answer and it and it hits so home for me because I I think often I I wrote a quote myself recently and I said healing trauma is like walking over garbage in your front yard. It's still your front yard, you know. And so I I think that that's a huge part of it. And in this, you know, I I hear this idea about racial illiteracy kind of being the the precursor and the catalyst to oppression and tyranny and going, wow, because we are so either ill-informed or misinformed or disinformed, we're in this place where we can't even have this conversation. And, and I think one of the most difficult things that I've sat with over the course of really the last two years and, and looking at the way the Black Lives Matter movement has taken almost this corporatization has made me realize something really interesting about the experience of, of being a person of color, of being biracial in America, of having a, a, a background filled with, with all kinds of different levels of racism. And, and it feels to me like this idea about being woke needs to actually shift into being awake. And, and I, I think that there's, this, there's a part of me that I, I, I don't like the idea about the woke movement because people aren't seeing the forest for the trees. And, and, and for the sake of time, and I, I know you're very busy, but I, I'd love if you could talk to this and see if that resonates with you in any way, because all I hear is people saying, let's be woke, let's be woke, let's be woke. And all I'm ever wanting to say is like, let's be awake. Let's talk about like actually do something. It's not enough to hold a sign in the street. The parades have stopped. The marches are over. Are you really awake? Because I don't know if that's true. 
And so that, I mean, that fires me up because I've stood and watched white supremacy and growing up in Indiana, not that far from the Ku Klux Klan and seeing my, you know, my uncle and my family members tattooed with Nazi insignia. But then on the other side, being witness to racism in all spectrums and all scopes of the imagination, I sit here and I go, I don't think you guys really get it still. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things, uh, Michael, that really uh, grates at me is how we, we take words and we just parrot them, right? So for instance, it used to be diversity. Then it was diversity and inclusion. Now it's diversity, inclusion, and equity. Now it's diversity, inclusion, equity, and access. Like we just keep adding words and then people just parrot that without understanding. Like when I talk to organizations about equity, they think it's equality. It's like, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> Let's break this down. You know, equity is, is about fairness and justice, which means that it's not just about, you know, the, the, the rising of the tide, which lifts all boats. If you know, if you have a dinghy and somebody else has a cruiser, those are two completely different boats. Okay, and so you know, one of them, if there's a storm, would, would stands a better chance of surviving than the other. That that's equality. You raise the water equally, and everybody rises. But equity is about doing the right thing for those who have the dinghy, so that they too can have a cruiser or some, you know a bigger boat. Uh, you know, which we have stopped them from having, right? And so, so that is what equity actually is. So people love to repeat things and to parrot things. And so this whole woke thing is, you know, woke is about yesterday. I need you awake today. I need for you to be awake today to what is happening today, to what you're feeling, to what comes up for you, to what happens to you when you walk into a restaurant and they still sit you in the back, even in 2021. You know what I'm saying? Like when you know that you need to go for that interview and you're not so sure that they're going to like the way you look because of the way you're wearing your hair. You know what I mean? Like if you're still worried about this, you're still, then you're still in it, right? If you're a white person that goes, oh, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to say the wrong thing. You're in it. You know what I'm saying? Like that you, you, you're not, you haven't escaped anything. So I need for you to be awake today on this very day to what is happening inside of you. What, what, what is your reaction to what you're hearing on the news about race and racism and what's happened today? Um, what is your reaction to your not hearing anything about race? What do you think? It just went away because no, they're not talking about it on the news anymore. You know, that, that is, that's not a reality, right? And so I need for you to stay awake because from a, an awakened place, you can do something. It, it, this is, it, see, a lot of what's happened and what I've seen and I see over and over and over again is everybody wants to solve racism in their heads and they want to solve racism from the inter, you know, interpersonal perspective. Don't say the wrong thing. Be politically correct, blah, blah, blah. Racism is institutional, systemic, internalized, personal and interpersonal. Okay, so because we live under the institution, which is institutionalized means law, and then we set up systems to support those laws, and then we internalize what is in our environment, right, which are the laws and the institutions, and then it becomes part of our personality because now we mix our personality with all the stuff that we've learned over time, and it becomes intertwined, and now we're having an interaction with somebody who doesn't look like us, and we don't realize that we just trigger their stress response. And so now it's fight, flight, or paralysis. So, you know, we need to, to when, when we are race literate, we are more awake, we are more aware, and we are more able, because when you're awake and you're aware, you have more access to the totality of you. You're able to stand more in your power as a human being. And when you see something wrong, you're able to speak up, even when you're scared. Okay? And, and so... And, and you're, you're also able to notice the feelings that come up inside of you as you try to do something or as you hear something. Or as you, so you, you're not asleep to yourself. You're awake 
as a human, you're awake, a vibrant, awake human being. You may not like what you see, but at least you're seeing it. You may not like what you feel, but at least you're feeling it. Does that make sense? Like being woke is about yesterday. Being awake is about today. And I need, believe me, I've been doing this work for 35 years. I'm exhausted. Okay. I need for people to freaking wake up and stay awake, you know, because woke people are asleep today. Yeah. They're asleep today. I need for you to be awake every single day of the year, every day of the year, 24 seven. I need for you to be awake. That doesn't mean you're talking about race or being necessarily conscious awake, uh, you know, 24 seven, but when it does show up, you show up. Does that make sense? You show because you're awake and you realize I'm feeling something. I don't like what I'm feeling, or this is uncomfortable or whatever it is. You can be with it. Human beings are incredibly powerful. They, people have been sold this idea that you're, you know, white people are, are, are um, fragile and this like you're not fragile you just don't like dealing with stuff okay you're not different from anybody else none of us likes dealing with stuff how do you think it feels to deal with the micro macro aggressions that black and brown people have to deal with all the time it is uncomfortable okay but we don't have a choice the fact that you have a choice means that you have a responsibility so it's about all of us working together and waking up as a human family and for me, this work is about bringing all the members of the human family, is about remembering, right? Remembering, being, bringing all the members of the human family to be a human family, to be awake to the fact that we are here because we are here to love each other, to learn from one another, to grow together. I mean, the, the talent that gets wasted yearly is incredible. And it's talent that we could all be benefiting from. If we wake up and stay awake and do whatever we can to make a difference, because we can all make a difference. I don't care how old you are, from the two-year-old to the 92-year-old, we can all make a difference around this. And to think that we can hide from this stuff is ridiculous. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, so for me, I, I'm, I'm with you, Michael. I want people to stay awake, to stay awake even to the discomfort, to stay awake and name it, name it. This doesn't feel right, you know? Like yeah. we need to just, we need to stay awake. We really do. I love that. That's so profound. I, I, I mean, we could literally do this for another three hours. I feel like we're just getting started. Um, you know, I, I have a huge amount of appreciation for you coming on and sharing this because this hits home for me in a, a really intensive way. It's something I'm always exploring, discovering, identifying, understanding, being trying my best to be awake around because I, I look at my life and I go, statistically, I should be dead or in jail. From my zip code, I should be dead or in jail. And yet here I am. And, and so much of that is predicated on this idea that I said, let me learn. Let me be literate to all the things. I'm always trying to be literate to all the things. Um, before I ask you my last question, um, can you tell everyone where they can find out more about you? Sure. They can visit my website, which is milagrosphillips.com. So it's my name.com. Um, and there are courses there and programs and all kinds of things that they can learn from. They can also uh, purchase, I have, um, I've published three books, but my latest book is called Cracking the Healer's Code, A Prescription for Healing Racism and Finding Wholeness. And it's a book that uses history, science, storytelling, and just a, a, a tapestry of different things to help people wake up and stay awake. And every chapter has questions for you to ask yourself. And then at uh, the, the second part of the book, is the healing process. And there are 13 layers to the healing process. And it's a universal process that you can heal, you can use to heal a family, a community, an individual, or a world. And so um, you can find that book uh, on Amazon and in various stores around the country. So um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm really easy to find. And if you have questions, you can also send an email to info at milagrosphillips.com. Amazing. And we'll put all of that information in the show notes. My last question for you, my friend, is what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Oh, my goodness. I love that question. To me, um, to be unbroken 
is to realize that no matter what happens in your life, no matter where you go, where you've been and what you have done, there is something inside of you that's greater than anything you could possibly do. And I am talking, I don't care what it is. There is something inside of you that's greater than that. And that is what keeps us whole and it makes us unbroken. Beautifully said, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Unbroken Nation, hope that you just got a tremendous amount of value from today's episode. I wanna know what you think. Please do me a favor and review, rate, and share the episode with three friends on social media today. It would mean the world if you did, because ultimately at the end of the day, creating community and connection is how we heal generational trauma in the world. And I need your help to do that on Broken Nation. So if you're on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are, please like, comment, share, review. I want to know not only what you like about the show, but how I can make the show better, how I can make this further about helping you on your healing journey. So do me a favor. And when you do shoot me a screenshot of you making the review to my DM at Michael Unbroken on Instagram so that I can have a conversation with you, say hi, and more importantly, so I can share it with the Unbroken Nation. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.